Welcome to Experience Junkies. On this show, I spotlight meeting and event professionals, global travelers, jet setters, and more to relive the moments we never want to forget. More importantly, we'll attempt as best we can to transport listeners to transformational points in our lives, sharing our observations and emotions behind these stories. By diving into the indelible impact these experiences have had on us, we decode small takeaways about how to be better humans than we were yesterday. On this episode, I'm joined by Rena Friedman Watts, and Rena has an interesting career journey. She has been an experienced junkie throughout her work life. Listen into our conversation where we talked about working at a Gary Vee event, her time as a producer on the Jerry Springer show, and now evolving to owning her own media company today. Sit back and relax as I chat with Rena Friedman Watts of the Better Call Daddy podcast. Welcome back to Experience Junkies. Today's episode should be really fun. I've got uh, the lovely Rena Friedman Watts with me today, and I'm so glad to have her here. Rena, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, before we kick off and dive too far into it, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I got my start in the media industry about 20 years ago, and that has really led to what I'm doing now. I am the host of the Better Call Daddy podcast, and I have my own production company called Megawatts Productions, where I help B2B businesses create shows of their own. Awesome. Awesome. It's You're the first person that's had a foray in the TV and the production space that we've had on the show. Um, so I'm excited because I feel like you've just got a really interesting career story, including working at the Jerry Springer show. We were talking before, I uh, just listened to your episode of Better Call Daddy, where you interviewed Jerry Springer. When you go back to that point in your life, when you were just starting out, what was young Rena looking for in a career and what would she think of where you're at now? Yeah. So I wanted to work in the entertainment industry since I was a young child. I took dance lessons and modeling lessons and all kinds of extracurricular activities. You know, my family, it was in their blood. They wanted to work in the entertainment industry. And so I was really praised for that. And I, you know, what's interesting though, I didn't so much love the stage. Like I liked to perform for like small groups, my family, like people that I felt comfortable with. I'd sing in the shower. <laughs> I, I had a love for music. Like music is definitely in my soul, but there are people that get lit up by the stage and yeah, I absolutely. don't. And so I learned that pretty early on. Like I definitely get stage fright. And whereas I was really proud of myself for the times that I did get on stages, like I went to a youth performing arts high school and the first time I didn't even get in because I didn't um, sing an Italian song and I didn't know how to read music and I had to, you know, take formal music lessons and re-audition. And that Oh my gosh, staying with that program at that level for four years and being around people who were way more successful than me, I felt like, and better singers and better performers and had more confidence. I feel like that really rubbed off on me in a way and gave me the ability to pursue it more. But I kind of went into the radio route because I felt like it was kind of like what we're doing right now. It was more one-on-one. I didn't see the audience. 
Mm-hmm. You know, even though I had people calling in and even though I interacted with an audience, I, I didn't feel the stage, you know? So Yeah, that's interesting. You you wanted to be in entertainment, but minus the stage aspect of it. Yeah. So I gravitated towards production. And when I went out of college and interviewed at a at a radio station in Chicago at WGN, I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns. And so I walked across to NBC Tower. I got a hold of the intern coordinator and I ended up starting there two weeks later. And what was great about Springer is that I got to work on the production side. So I got to hang out with the guests, book the guests, you know, figure out what made a good story, hear the other associate producers on the phone, you know, who was the loudest? What were they saying to get people to come? You know, what were the greatest stories they were bringing? And I just started really paying attention to that and emulating them. And then I got promoted to be a producer within one season. So that was amazing. And it was such a good training ground. I mean, you were putting out weekly shows and pitching executive stories and you were really Mm -hmm. under time constraints to get it all done and managing a budget and just all of what goes into putting together a good show. So that was just so great. It was interesting listening to that episode of you interviewing Jerry. And I like that he, he had an understanding of the things that you guys were doing behind the scenes, even though he was removed for it being, you know, the, the, the name on the marquee, if you will. But can you talk about what it's like trying to tell a story on a stage but all the work that goes on behind the scenes to one, find it, but then also craft it and make sure that that talent or, you know, the, the guests each week are prepared to kind of go in there and tell their story. That is such a great question. And it is a lot of work. And, and the thing is too, is that you can practice with them. First of all, they called the show. It's their, it's actually their story. You know, they're, essentially pitching you when they call, you know, remember 1-800-96-JERRY, like they would leave a message (laughs) on a phone number and you Mm -hmm. would call them back and you would say, you know, I got your message. Hey, you know, it's Rena from the Jerry Springer show. Tell me what's going on. And they would tell you their story. But then what makes a good story is if the other people involved in the story want to come, right? So then you need to talk to the other players involved. So if it's a married couple, you got to talk to the husband, the wife, and then you got to get the mistress. And so you got to get the husband to get the mistress on the phone, right? And all of the people involved in the story have to be able to communicate well, you know, and they have to be passionate about wanting to tell their story. And that's really hard to get because a lot Mm -hmm. of times one person doesn't want to tell the story. A lot of times the wife, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that was the bread and butter of the show. And so what makes a good story and, and they can be really good at telling it to you over the phone. But again, like me, right? When there's a room full of hundreds of people yelling and chanting and screaming at you mm-hmm. and the lights and the cameras, sometimes people freeze. Sometimes people get nervous before they go out there. So you are role-playing with them for hours before they go out there. Wow. Yeah. Saying, you know, this is what she's going to say to you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. So not scripted, but well, the thing is, if there's a secret, you weren't going to tell them who it was. Right. Yeah. But what's going on in your marriage? Like, why do you think you're coming here? You know, it's never Mm. good news. So tell me, tell me what your relationship has really looked like. What's going wrong? What have you sacrificed for this man? Right. And so you get them thinking about all of the things that they, they could say 
Now, I'm just thinking about all the conversations you had during, you know, the span of your time with that show, not just screening stories, deciding, okay, these people were going to bring on the show, prepping them before they go on for their, go live for their episode. Tell me a little bit about how that experience of all these stories you're hearing about people's personal lives, really intimate details, like how has that affected your interpersonal relationships and maybe like your communication with your friends and family um, from just, you know, all the stories you've heard, you know, throughout that experience? Not only that experience, but now on my podcast, I've interviewed over, you know, 200 people. It definitely widens your perspective. I mean, working on that show alone, and then I went on mm-hmm. to work on other reality shows too. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody about this last night, but like when you are around people who are just complete open books and are willing to take their clothes off and essentially tell you everything about themselves, <laughs> that is contagious. I mean, not a hundred percent, but the more you are around people who can do that, you then become more able to do that. Mm. Yeah. It's being more open and more. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're only here once. And why did you experience these things if no one's supposed to learn from them? Amen, sister. (laughs) That's what we're here for. Experience junkies. It's like, hey, we're going out and we're going to events. We're traveling. We're having these, you know, we're hosting shows on TV, but what are we taking away from it? What is the life lesson out of it? So I totally agree with you. You are preaching to the choir with that one. (laughs) It also, though, I will say after I worked on that show for multiple years, it was like, okay, like I can do this format, right? But can I work on other shows? (laughs) Can I work on other more redeeming quality shows. Like it was starting to wear on me. It was starting to bleed into my life. I was starting to be like, Oh my God, do people Mm -hmm. have normal relationships? Is this everyone? Right. And you know, I got that job straight out of college. I was 21 years old. Like it was Mm -hmm. a good paycheck. It was the opportunity to work in a big city. It was exciting. It sounded cool. Right. But then I was like, Oh my gosh, like this can't be it. Right. So I moved out to LA and I had to start all the way over. I mean, I didn't know anyone. And so I took a job working as an executive assistant to three very seasoned producers. They had a special effects animation company in Burbank Mm -hmm. and it was a family run business. And it was so cool because one was like a producer, one was a director, one was an animator. And they worked on things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Team America, I got to see them work on pilots. I got to see them work on large scale productions and all of what went into that, like location scouting and accounts payable and receivable and payroll for 200 people and, you know, crewing up a a staff of 200. I mean, so much goes into production that I didn't know about. And from there, I was then able to go back into the field and get some of those more creative roles like field interviewer and associate producer and assistant editor and post-production supervisor and kind of learn like what I liked and what I didn't like. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's a really big part of maturing and growing as an entrepreneur and as a business owner and as a person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Life is not linear, right? So when you're taking that journey, sometimes you've got to take a step back before you can take another step forward and you've got to take a detour, um, but you might still get to the same destination. So make sure that you're enjoying the ride, you know, bumps and all. It's not always going to be (laughs) completely smooth. 
Oh my gosh, that is so, so true. And before I moved to LA, actually, in between Springer and jumping across the country, I took a sales role job literally two floors up from Springer in the same building in NBC Tower. Like there was, I think there was like a restaurant or bar or something like in NBC. And like, you know, after work, people would go there and have a drink and be social. And I met some other guy and he worked like a couple floors up and he was like, hey, we're hiring salespeople. I was like, if I can talk people into doing what I just did on Springer, like I should be able to sell sporting events packages right right? like (laughs) if i can tell if i can sell you to spill all of your intimate personal life details i can sell you a refrigerator right (laughs) but no it was not exciting not fun it was very transactional it was a numbers game it was good old boys club and i did not like it so much so that like i literally went out for a smoke break one day and never came back like literally left my stuff on the table they were like are you coming back i'm like nope keep it i was like you you were you were ahead of the the great walkout the great resignation you were ahead of your time with that yeah but you know what i was young and free and i didn't really think that i wasn't going to be successful like at that point i literally left with no backup plan i was like Because I think that the first opportunity came so easily and with a bit of luck that I just Mm. was like, I can find something else great. Yeah. And I think, honestly, like, there's so much pressure in life to, like, constantly jump from one success to the next. And I think it's important, like you were saying, to sometimes take a step back and, like, really think about, like, what are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? Like, what do you want to spend your time doing? And I'm, I'm doing yeah. that even now as an entrepreneur. I feel even more so as an entrepreneur because you have the freedom to build your life, but that freedom can also be very paralyzing because you're the one making all the decisions. So when you're going after clients and when you're creating new products or services, it's your, you know, IP, your intellectual property that's going to determine, you know, the map of your business. And so, yeah, it's great because it's free. You can do whatever you want, but then it's, then it's like, okay, well, what do I want? (laughs) And it's a lot of introspection and, and a lot of personal development. Oh, so, so much. And, you know, like there's been services too, that like, you know, I've gotten paid for five, six, seven, eight times. And you're like, okay, well, obviously this is something that people want. Right. But then you're like, is this something that like, I want to continue doing? Because I feel like the reason that they keep paying me to do this is because this is something that a lot of people need help with, but like, it's Mm -hmm. very time consuming. I'm not charging enough for it. I'm putting my name on these people. Right. So then you're you're like, Maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Like, time to pivot again. I have pivoted so many times. Like, Mm -hmm. you can figure out ways to make money. That's not hard to do. I mean, honestly, I could come up... I've made money in so many interesting different ways. Like, people come to you with different things that they need help with, and boom, you're in service. That's a service. Yep, I I provide that. It happens really quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but like, my very first foray into entrepreneurship was in the event space, I was working for a financial firm and I was putting on these lunch and learns. They were essentially like, you know, upscale steak dinners. And then you bring in a speaker and they talk to you about a high price life insurance item ticket. (laughs) And I was really good at it because I love marketing and I love putting together events. And I was able to get between 50 and 70 people to show up 
but I didn't really believe in the product. To be honest, I didn't. Yeah. There was a CPA that said that he wanted to work with me and not who I was working for and that we could put on these events together and that he would share his clients with me and that, you know, I should get licensed myself and that we could do it where I didn't have to be held down to a nine to five. And yeah, I decided to try that. But again, even though it was like me putting together the event, I was going to swim with the sharks and this Mm -hmm. industry that I didn't love. So this girl that I had hired to help me put together one of these financial events, when she found out I went on my own, she was like, you want to work on a Gary Vee event? She was like, I need help with sponsors. And I had never done that before. But she had a list of potential sponsors that she thought would be good. And she already had some sponsors that had signed on. So I just led with that. I reached out to the other brands and I was like, X, Y, and Z have already signed up. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't have somebody in your space. You could be the first airline. You could be the first shoe brand. You could be the first. And I, it's like, once you already have other sponsors on board, And once you've already proven that you can get 2,500 people in a room for a past event, like there are Mm -hmm. things to lead with. So that's what I led with. I was like, look, she's put together an event with him before. She's gotten this number of people in the room before. She's got these clients, you know, these sponsors already on board. You know, your brand goes right along with their brand. And, you know, if you say it with excitement and you really believe in what you're promoting, you would be surprised how other people come on board for that. And I... Got a couple sponsors to say yes, and I raised some money, and I found my way to Toronto, and I got to see how someone else put together a much bigger event than I had done, and I loved it. And then I was like, okay, these are the kind of events I want to work on. Yeah. So you, yeah, like, like I mentioned before, you have a really interesting career journey because it's been up, down, around, turn left, turn right. Now go down the rabbit hole, come back out of the rabbit hole. So you go from, you know, kind of TV production and you do a little stint in sales and then you end up in events. So kind of give the listeners a little uh, understanding about your entry into the event industry? Like what was your first impression, either whether with those lunch and learns or when you're working on that first event for Gary V? Oh my gosh. Well, also alongside the financial events, I took a job for about a year and a half at a telecom company and they were the ones that started the lunch and learn thing. Mm-hmm. So I had done it even smaller scale than the 50 to 75, where I got like 15 to 20 to come. Yeah, And the way that I did it there was we reached out to existing relationships, you know, like people that they were already doing business with. And they wanted me to reach out to heads of customer experience. They wanted Chicago-based companies. They wanted chief financial officers. So what I did was I went on LinkedIn. I typed in these people's titles and the companies at, you know, that they wanted to attend And I made friends with people of those titles at those companies and just said, hey, do you ever go to lunch and learn events? Like, I know Groupon does them. I attend them. You know, we're looking, it's a free event. We -hmm. are just looking to talk about these subject matters. Is this something that you would be interested in on a lunch time? You know, and so I befriended the people in the titles at the companies that they wanted to attend. And then I was like, whoa, you can just type in a title, befriend somebody on LinkedIn, tell them you're planning an event and they'll come. Like that was, you know, like a relevation. Is that the word? Yeah, networking is a lot simpler than people make it, right? 
But the thing is with the financial events, it was way more involved than that. Like we were, I was having to email people, cold call people, market it on LinkedIn and saying, hey, we're doing this, create beautiful graphics. A lot of financial advisors, when they're putting together these little get togethers, they'll spend thousands on direct mail. I think that's really outdated and dinosaurish and it goes right in the trash. And if I were to receive one of those, I would throw it in the trash. But yeah, social media and the fear of missing out and making these events look like they're happening. And not only are you know they talking about financial services, but it's also networking. That was a mm-hmm. good angle. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, hey, come have a nice meal, come network and learn about financial services. That worked better. Absolutely. With the Gary Vee thing, he's such a well-known person and he's written books and he draws a certain type of crowd. And it was just, it was more like entertainment factor. Mm-hmm. So... Whereas, yes, you're going to hear all of these amazing speakers and and people go for that. They're going because they love him. They're going for the networking. They're going for the speakers. They're going for the entertainment. So there was so much more that brought people to that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, I have a love hate with the Gary Vee brand, not necessarily him, but a lot of the bro culture that comes along with his like audience, if you will. But tell us a little bit about what it's like to, you know, be in the, you know, the environment of his audience and the experiences, you know, creating an experience for a Gary V audience versus, you know, the lunch and learns or the other events you create. What's kind of like the the key to that culture or, you know, the on-site feel? I mean, to be honest, the on-site feel was like that he was a celebrity. I mean, he like had people guarding him the whole time and even after all of the speakers and like the main event part, like there was like a whole VIP section where like, if you paid extra, you got to meet him, you got to sign book, you got to like talk to him for 10 seconds, you know, Mm -hmm. and there was a line around the corner. And yeah, like that was very like blocked off. There was security. Like it's just such a different feel. Um, It was a controlled environment, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and sponsors, got to eat lunch with him. You know, there were different levels of interaction with him and different levels of how you could experience the event. So it's interesting that, you know, you've had such a a background in entertainment, especially, you know, for TV, uh, but then also you've got the event production side. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like creating an experience for the screen you know, with the TV shows that you've produced versus creating an in-person, you know, touch, feel, see all the different uh, sensory aspects, you know, an an in-person experience. Talk about the difference between the production side for you. Yeah. So when I was in reality TV, I mean, things have changed a lot in the last, you know, 20 years. But when I was in, oh my God, when I first started, I mean, I was still using a beeper. You know what I mean? <laughs> like to be paged, <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, true <laughs> about the guests. But like, when I just I really remember when I first started working in reality TV that they overshot everything. I mean, mm. they were shooting these reality stars around the clock to be able to cut together a one-hour segment. I mean, yeah, multiple cameras in every room. These people were being followed everywhere to the point where you almost have to forget the cameras are there because you're being filmed around the clock to get what they need to happen in real life. Like 
you know, they might have had one storyline in mind when they casted the person, but like in order to create drama for the screen, like you are having to follow that person around a lot yeah. for, for real life to happen and for real magic to happen in order mm-hmm. to make entertainment happen on the screen, yeah. right? So when I was working in reality TV, it was a lot of that, like just a lot of camera crew, a lot of coverage, and a lot of editing. I think that it has become easier to create content now with technology and with all of um, the tools that we have. I mean, when I was working, we were also still shooting to tape and discs and the editing process was so much longer. Now, Mm -hmm. my God, with all of these apps and, you know, tools that we have at our disposal, like networks are competing now with YouTube creators. Networks. Exactly are competing with community builders like what you and I are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can build a community, you are in direct competition with people that are getting paid at network level. Exactly. Um, now, as far as events in real life, like what makes them great, I think that people go to events in real life for different reasons. I think that some people go because they love the speaker. That will honestly, like me and my husband just went to a Jordan Peterson event. We drove Mm -hmm. all the way to Milwaukee because my husband loves that guy's message and that guy's style. And afterwards, yes, you know, like about a hundred VIPs got to have an intimate Q and A with him and a back and forth and sit closer to him and actually feel him off the stage, which I prefer I feel like when you're on stage, you're a different persona than when it's an intimate Q&A with 100 people. Like, yeah. I like, I feel like my sweet spot is like the 50 to 100 person event. Like, mm. I feel like you can still almost talk to everybody in the room. Yeah. The intimacy is a different level for sure. Yes. And when you get 2,500, there is an excitement in the room and there is a boom. And it's kind of like, I mean, I've gone to a Tony Robbins event and everybody's hoo-hawing together and jumping Mm -hmm. and there's an energy to that, which I love. Right. But also at that scale, it's got to be streamlined And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and there has to be a big crew to like, make sure that things flow in a certain way, because if not, it can be chaotic. Yeah. It can be a lot of herding cats. Uh, it can be a circus. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, you've got to think... have a really big team and everyone's yes. got to have really well-defined roles and yes. uh, a really stringent process. You're absolutely right. Those those are the differences I would say. But again, with, with these bigger events, I think that people go for different intentions. I mean, I know even at Tony Robbins, there are people like me that I got to go because I was a high performer at work and my boss paid for me to go. And so I personally mm-hmm. went for personal development reasons. Like, yeah, that was my intention. But I think that there are people that go to those kinds of events to network with the platinum club. Like they mm-hmm. go to meet people that they can do business with. I think that yeah. that is definitely a motivator for, I would say a chunk of the audience. But then there were people that I met that were executives that paid for themselves to go because they wanted to learn who taught Tony Robbins. They wanted to, to learn from the best speakers And yes, you know, they want to do some networking, but I don't think the level of networking that some people go to try to sell their products and services, it's a mix. It's really a mix. With this whole journey in your career of, you know, creating 
in-person experiences, creating, you know, TV experiences that people, you know, watch in their own home. What have you learned about yourself in terms of what makes you tick and what you value um, from all these different um, opportunities you've had over, over time? I mean, I can tell you now too, because I'm helping put other people's shows together in the podcasting world. And I care so much about the quality of what I put my name on. That is something that I have learned about myself. Mm. And so if I am going to be, you know, supervising a podcast, I do such research on the people that are being interviewed, right? Like what other shows have they been on? How do they introduce themselves? How can I ask a question a little bit differently that's going to get mm-hmm. them to talk about what they always talk about in a different way. Yeah. You've, and, and even in the interviews that I do with people, I might listen to four to six hours. I mean, this is crazy of, you know, either them being interviewed or them interviewing somebody else. So I know what they like to talk about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And how they talk about it. The words that they use matter. Yeah. yeah, you're definitely a student of your craft and I appreciate that so much. And, you know, as a newbie podcaster, relatively newbie or, you know, um, in my sophomore season, that's, you're right. Like it, it's more work than you think, just even for the interviewing piece, learning about the guests, picking questions to ask, really, what story do you want to tell? So I appreciate that, you know, you've talked about how much you pour into it, because if your name is on it, you want to kind of stand behind that quality seal, if you will. Even with people that come to me and ask me for help getting them on podcasts, I give them pro tips along the way. And now I've even thought about adding another service onto that. Like if you want me to get you on podcasts, I almost feel like they need an hour of coaching with me before I pitch them to podcasts. Because like Mm -hmm. if I introduce you in a very personalized way, and then you're just like, here's my Calendly link. That is a bad reflection on me. Right. Right. Like, can I get you on podcast? Yes. I have a lot of relationships with podcasters, right? But mm-hmm. if I introduce you to somebody that I think you'd be great for, and I write you a very personalized introduction, and then you don't like feed off of that in a yes and type of manner. Exactly. <laughs> that is you dropping the ball. 100%. If it happens once... I try to give them a little pro tip and say, hey, like after I make you an introduction, you might want to say X, Y, and Z. Like, (laughs) I'm going to check out your show. That was so great that Rena thought I'd be a fit for your show. I'm so excited to connect with you. Before we connect, I'm going to research you too and write you a review. And then after you're on the show, what makes podcast hosts the happiest? Thanking them, writing them a review, sharing an episode, right? Like that makes... (laughs) you a relationship versus a transaction. Exactly. Exactly. Like coming to the table, how can I be of service? Yes. um, Is is always going to get you a lot further than what can I get from this? Versus somebody that connects with you and they're like, how can I get on your show? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Rena, I have loved having you on. This has been a great conversation. Um, But before we log off, I ask every guest this question. And I'm curious if you had to pick one song to convey either like your career journey or the conversation we've had today, what would that song be and why? 
Yes. I love that question. And I have never been asked that question on any other show. And awesome. I love Beyonce. Every time I'm like pumping myself up for an interview or a show or like something I'm a little bit fearful of that I'm getting ready to do. I either think of run the world girls who run the world girls. I love that. (laughs) Or like, where am I single ladies? (laughs) Even though I'm not single, but I just, yeah. Yes. Like I love that girl power. And I feel Mm -hmm. like I really think that women need to support each other more. Absolutely. You know, it is harder as a woman to rise to the top. It just is. It still is. And I try to bring my daughter to some of these interviews that I'm hosting locally. And I bring her to events where there's powerful women speaking. And yes, I'm a proud mompreneur. I'm a proud woman. And I feel that in my bones when I have wins. I love the the theme there of, you know, women lifting women and and also like the next generation, because I have two daughters as well. So I do look forward to as they're getting older, bringing them along for the journey and, you know, seeing women doing big things. So I appreciate that note as well. But before we log off, Rena, tell everyone where they can find you on on the interwebs. Yes. So you can find me at bettercalldaddy.com. You can email me at rena at bettercalldaddy.com. And I am a LinkedIn-aholic. That's really my favorite channel. So Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining today and have a great rest of your day, Rena. Thank you. Do around the world, girls. Girls. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Experience Junkies podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify so that other listeners can find the show. Be sure to join our Discord channel. This is a great place for you to give feedback, talk with me, talk with our guests and other listeners, and share your Experience Junkie tales. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day.